you're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. So check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. And so today, we're kind of transitioning into biblical training. And so what I'm going to do is just kind of set the stage for what this series is going to look like. It's going to be a series of questions that we have been asking among our church body, things in regards to parenting, government, you know, cultural issues, uh, even gender roles, those sorts of things that are constantly uh, hitting us from all sides of life, and what is our response to it. And so before we get into those specific topics, we really want to um, set a, a kind of a solid foundation for where we are going. <clears throat> so let me do this. Let's read the Word of God together and then dive into this. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm actually going to begin in verse 1 and go down to verse 9, but the focus will be verses 4 through 9 today. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, if any of you are like me, or any dudes in the room are like me, hearing or listening is something that's just a natural trait of ours. That mean, I mean, poor listening, excuse me. <laughs> well, I think that's what I was told anyways. So, I thought, okay, this is the goal of what we're, what we're trying to see today in Deuteronomy, is this idea of listening and hearing. And so, I found this kind of funny little story about poor listening, and I think it'll kind of be helpful. So a woman was working in a shopping mall. On her lunch break, she goes and visits the pharmacy in the shopping mall. And another woman, a customer, runs into her while she's at this pharmacy. The customer says, you, where do you keep your toilet paper? And the woman says, in my cupboard. (laughs) The customer says, how dare you talk to me that way? I want to talk to your manager. And the woman says, I'm sorry, I don't work here. The customer says, oh, so now you're going to get in trouble. It's, I don't work here, eh? (laughs) And the woman, pointing to the company logo on her shirt, says, no, I genuinely don't work here. I work in this other shop. The customer, so you don't wear your uniform either. (laughs) Where's your manager? And so she, this customer turns to the makeup counter employee and says, Are you her manager, Missy? And the makeup counter employee says, Yes, yes I am. And she turns to the woman, winking. Don't do that again. And the customer says, Thank you. See, now I can shop here again. And so then she turns to the makeup counter employee. You, where do you keep your toilet paper? (laughs) I'm not sure I know anyone so hard-pressed for toilet paper paper, except maybe in early 2020, that it would cause them 
to be so blind and dull of hearing the person who is standing right in front of them. There was a bit of a hearing problem in the Bible. There is a bit of a hearing problem and a bit of a hearing problem among the people of Israel. And it was so prevalent that God went out of His way several times through His servant Moses to repeat very clearly who He was and what He expected of His people. Theologian Daniel I. Block writes that between Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and chapter 8, verse 20, Moses maintains his covenantal focus throughout this section, particularly through the repetition of the phrase, Yahweh your God, which occurs 31 times, and Yahweh our God, which occurs an additional four times yielding a total of 35 occurrences in 68 verses. I think if God is trying to get someone's attention here, this is very clearly God trying to get Israel's attention. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is widely known as the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew rendering of the word hear or to listen. And this passage functions kind of like an Old Testament creed or liturgy for God's people. And even today, among the Jews, it is widely known, it is recited even twice daily in reference to, I believe, verse 7. So here is the Shema. Shema, or to hear, means is also equated to acting, to work, to do something, to obey. You cannot listen and not act. And if you do not act, then you are not actually listening. The Jews to this day even continue to recite this passage thinking that they are rightly hearing. And they continue to hear in a way that results ultimately in dead, righteous works. The righteousness is dead because they have refused to hear Jesus the one true and living God. Today there still remains, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, a hardness of heart and a veil that remains over their faces, over their eyes, unable to see or behold the glory of Christ. And so what does this have to do with this theme of biblical training and where we're going? As we'll see today, Our hope is to set a foundation for our hearing in the days ahead. And not just from the pulpit, but from our teaching, from Scripture reading, from prayers, just from the example of leadership. As we move forward in training, it is essential that we are able to rightly hear or listen. Hearing is essential for Israel to be obedient and live righteously. If they cannot hear, they cannot do anything. They cannot know how to engage the foreign gods and the idols of the land. They cannot know how to possibly raise their children in this new place. How to worship their God while having to fight off enemies. To know how to trust the Lord when all seems lost. It will do us no good to teach about multiple issues or topics or questions if we're not rightly first hearing the Lord. Our hearing is essential to our training because our hearing will only be hearing if it is intertwined with obedience. The Shema. Verses 4-5. through This section of the Shema is a call for exclusive covenant commitment to Yahweh or the Lord. In your Bible there, all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, Capital D, that is Yahweh. And that will be what sets the tone for our training. Our exclusive covenant commitment to the Lord. And so, biblical training. Our exclusive commitment to love and live for Jesus. That's kind of our theme. Exclusive commitment to love and live for Jesus. And so we see this in the first two verses. In verses 4 and 5, this exclusive commitment to love Uh, to the love of our one God. Again, hear, O Israel. This command, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, 
To hear is to obey. To not obey is not to hear. You can't do one without the other. They are both intertwined together. And so when Israel hears, they are also obeying. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is not making an Old Testament case for the Trinity. That's not what Moses, the author of Deuteronomy, is doing. What this is doing, rather, if you look at the bigger context of this chapter and the book of Deuteronomy, this is the same one covenantal God who is God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and for New Testament purposes, this is the same God we see in the New Testament. Namely, Jesus. Not a different God. The same God. And this is speaking of Yahweh or the Lord as one God and not of many gods. Like one of many gods as the foreigners in the land would believe. And that is the problem of the land of which Israel will soon inherit once they cross over the Jordan. A land that worships false gods and idols. And so God is making it very clear that there is one God and I am Him. And you listen to Me. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, 13-15 kind of illustrates this point. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. And so hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This big, powerful, eternal God first instruction, the first thing as far as acting and hearing is to love. Not blindly submit to, not kiss the ring of the Lord your God, though He could, but to love your God with all your heart, soul, and might. This word love has an aspect of emotion with it, but that's not exclusively what it is. This is this love is a covenant commitment, a relationship that is an expression of the covenant with God. And so this is a commitment to this relationship. And we have to understand we have several covenants that just happen within the Old Testament, and these covenant relationships are dually focused. God promises He will act and be a certain way in this relationship. And Israel is to be a certain way in this relationship to God as well. And not for the purpose of gaining righteousness. God makes it very clear in Deuteronomy that they are not righteous people. But for the purpose of showing that ongoing love and commitment to the relationship that they do have. And so he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Heart can also be equated with mind. There's this express covenantal commitment in one's inner being. That's the idea of the heart. It is your inner being. The soul is a person as a living being. So talking about the physical realm of who you are. All that who you are. So the heart being the inner being. The soul being the person as a living being. And might being a reference to all of one's possessions that is, one's entire household. So all you are at the very core, all you are as a human being, and all that you have is to be expressed in love as a covenantal commitment to loving God. And so Moses describes this loving God in a way that is to permeate all of life. And you see that beginning to be fleshed out Really, in verses 6-9. through And to not love the Lord your God is to put the Lord your God to the test. As he says in 6.16. So church, how are your listening skills? Are you listening? Are you hearing? You can know you're listening 
if it is followed by active obedience. An active obedience and love for the Lord at your inner core, your inner being, with, it, with your body, even within your home. All of who you are permeates the love of God, which then reflects that you're actually hearing God. Is your listening an expression of your commitment to the Lord? Or are you a poser saying you love God, but really you're just trying to test God and see what you can get away with? Let's see how, how far I can get away with this. But if you truly love the Lord, it will ultimately manifest itself in all of life. And this is what Moses goes on to describe in verses 6-9. through nine, That this exclusive commitment to the love of God in all of life. So here's how the people of God, the Israelites, are to actively live out this love of God with all their heart, soul, and might. And it is done this way. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Meaning, the love of God in the very core of your being, the Word of God, shall be on your heart. Placed on your heart. Verse 17 illustrates this. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. So the very core of who the Israelites are is to be the Word of God. And in Deuteronomy 6.17, he says you shall diligently keep the commands. And this word diligent is mentioned multiple times. It means to keep, to watch over, to guard. So in other words, we need to, or Israel is to keep or watch over or guard the words and commands of God at the very core of their inner being, their heart. It is essential for who they are that God's Word is rightly guarded in their hearts. Then he says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So then, the love of God or commitment, exclusive commitment to God and love is then a family matter. It's not just a personal, individual matter, but now it is also a family matter. Deuteronomy 6, 20-21 illustrates this as well. And here's why it's a family matter. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And so as the Israelites are to keep this covenant, keep this commitment with the Lord, and love the Lord. They are to love the Lord in their teaching, diligently teaching the Word that is deeply inside their hearts to their children. They're to keep, they're to watch over, they're to guard the words and commands of God by teaching them, and not just in the morning over breakfast time or at night right before bed, but in every rhythm of life. Every rhythm of life. And this is the covenant responsibility of the Israelites in their love of God and within this community. And then he says in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so then, the love of God is also a public matter. The love of God is a personal matter. It is a family matter. But it is also a public matter. This is illustrated in verse 25. And it will be for righteousness. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. And so the Israelites are to keep, to watch over, to guard the words and commands of God openly before the Lord. Not in closed quarters. So you have the personal responsibility, 
the family responsibility, and the public responsibility to love the Lord your God as the people of God. So are you diligent, that is, church, to keep, to watch over, to guard in your commitment to the Lord the Word that He has written on your heart? Are you diligent with teaching the Word of God to your children, your household, in the everyday rhythms of life? With seeing to it that you are openly diligent before the Lord in outside of the home as well. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are about the Lord. And is your commitment exclusively to Him or are you partially in? Like one foot in, one foot out and your commitment to the Lord. So Moses would continue in the book of Deuteronomy to help Israel look forward to that day of crossing the Jordan. And granted, that generation would not cross. They would die. The next generation would cross over. But this Word of God would be carried on. And it would stand. And so the teachings of Moses in this moment are not just for the now of the Israelites in the wilderness, but for Israel moving into the promised land. And so there is a greater movement going forward. But even as Joshua, who carries on the baton, if you will, the torch, carries the torch after Moses, and Moses dies, and brings Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land, Joshua speaks still of a day later on the land of which they would reside, and the homes that they did not build, of the vineyards that they did not plant, of the cattle that they did not raise, all of these things that will be theirs, that will be given to them, this land flowing with milk and honey, is but just a small foretaste of something greater that is to come. We see this prophesied again in the book of Zechariah. Chapter 14, verse 9. You see, after this time, the Shema really is never referenced again. You don't really see it. Israel goes through these ups and downs of obedience, disobedience, obedience, disobedience, and it almost seems like the Shema just kind of vanished and just kind of disappeared and went away in the Old Testament. But then the prophet Zechariah kind of brings it back to life again, if you will. Prophesying messianically, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and His name one. In short, Jesus will come and He comes to redeem the kingship and oneness of God ultimately lost among His people. Not lost among God. God didn't change. He's been faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is the people not upholding their covenantal relationship with God. And so Christ would come. And so we jump to the New Testament for a moment and see the exclusive commitment to the love of Jesus in all of life. So church, we are to then hear, we are to listen to our one God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are to listen to Him. In John chapter 5, which is something we've already preached, Jesus kind of illustrates this point of hearing. And this kind of brings us back and reminds us even of Deuteronomy. In John 5, 30-47, I won't read all of the verses, but Jesus says, I can do nothing on My own. As I hear, I judge, and My judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Verse 37, And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, 
on whom you have set your hope. Jesus speaking to the Jews here who are practicing the Shema, who are reciting these words daily. Jesus is saying, I won't have to accuse you. Moses accuses you. The one on whom you set your hope. For if you believed Moses, Jesus says, you would believe Me. He wrote of Me. But if you do not believe His writings, how will you believe My words? We must hear and hear Christ. To hear Christ is to hear God. The same God of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And our hearing is only possible by faith through Jesus alone. Even ancient Israel had to take up their hearing by faith. God would not say to them that their hearing was so that they could become righteous, that they could earn their righteousness. God makes it very clear in the chapters ahead that they are not righteous. They must take up these hearings by faith. Moses preached, in short, the same Gospel we know of today through Jesus. Moses looked forward to Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth, Hebrews tells us. And so to hear the God of Deuteronomy is to hear Jesus who is God. And so as we move into talking about life questions and topics and trainings, none of what we say will matter if we are not rightly hearing Jesus. We can get up here and give you all sorts of pragmatic tools and gadgets and ideas and whatever else, but if you're not hearing Christ, it won't matter. As Jesus said, none of us have been in the presence of the Father like the Israelites in the time of Deuteronomy. Nor in the presence of Jesus like the disciples in the New Testament. But we have the very Word of God. And we have His Spirit among us. We have the exact same responsibility to hear by faith. Being in the presence of God in either the Old Testament or the New Testament matters not if it is not received by faith. And so as we move forward in training and equipping, be sure to give thanks to God that you can hear Him. And your hearing is accompanied by a powerful Helper the Holy Spirit. This is kind of like first things first before we get started in actually doing something. First things first. Do you hear the Lord? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart? With all of your mind? At the, at the core of who you are. And you understand the core of who you are wouldn't even be able to hear Jesus if Jesus didn't change the core of who you are. Our first response to anything is worship to Him. He's the one who gives us the eyes and the mind to see problems in the, this world and that we need to do something about it. So we need to turn to Him first. We need to hear Him first. Drown out the noise of the world and hear the Lord. And so after we hear Him, we are then to love Him as covenant commitment to Him. And yes, there's emotion tied to that. Right? Deep love and emotion with that. But it's the truest expression of our covenant commitment to Him. That's what this love really is. And how do we love? We love our God by faith in the core of our being. And Paul makes this appeal. If you think about Deuteronomy here, it's written to the Jews. And granted, the Old Testament is very open to proselytes, to foreigners coming in and then worshiping God as well. But this command is to the Jews. And Paul makes this appeal, really taking us back to reminding us of the Old Testament in Romans 3 when he says, or is God the God of Jews only? Talking about justification. Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? We are then to take comfort in our one God because He is the one God 
who is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and yes, even of you and me today. This God is revealed to us through Christ and His covenantal promise is for both Jew and Gentile. We are grafted into this covenantal promise as Gentiles. 21st century Gentiles. This covenant that Jesus provides is not dependent upon ethnicity. It's not dependent upon works, status. It is dependent upon only the work of Jesus on the behalf of the sinner. And in Him, we are made then one new man, Jew and Gentile. So therefore, we rec- when we receive Jesus by faith, we receive His covenant faithfulness to God. We receive a new, righteous, diligent, to loving God sort of heart because of Christ. Let me make this, let me say it a different way. Think of our relationship to God as a marriage. We can't uphold our end without constantly breaking that covenantal relationship. Jesus steps in and He perfects that covenantal relationship on our behalf. And then He applies it to us. So then, therefore, our marriage with God is permanent. It is perfect. Because it is bound up in Him. And so because of this, we have room to breathe. Knowing that we have this perfect, permanent, covenantal relationship with God. Yes, we are covenant breakers. We are in the already but not yet sort of state. We, we still sin, but thank God for the Spirit, we are convicted of that sin and we turn from sin and we turn towards holiness. But even more, the faithfulness of Jesus, He continues to intercede for us, pleading our case before the Father. And in response, we can't help but love Him and commit to Him all of our days. And this commitment is not to work in order to uphold and keep our end of the the covenant, but rather our work is in response to this perfect, wonderful love of Christ towards us. It is a worshipful response. So as we work towards how we are to live life, we have to keep in mind that God is calling us to act out of the deep-rooted worship and love of God we have in our hearts. Our works then become an overflow of love and worship and not something we do in order to gain favor with God. And we are to love our covenant family. We are to love our God as a covenant family. We have our personal family. We have our church family. In the time of Moses, the individual family units were were covenant families. Part of the larger covenant community, Israel. The New Testament carries that covenant family concept not through the outward cutting of the flesh, but by the inward cutting of the heart by faith alone in Jesus. The call to love the Lord as a family unit has not changed from the Old to the New Testament. Instead, it has been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. The New Testament lays this same command to the family. We see this more directly in Paul's writings in the New Testament, especially in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, starting in 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. Paul appeals to the family unit to love the Lord and how they interact with one another. And so Paul again brings us back to Deuteronomy and how he instructs the people at Ephesus. And so let me give you just one of these examples in Ephesians. Chapter 6, 1-4. through Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, do your parents tell you that all the time? Okay. Let's be honest. Is it like this, this nice painting over your doorway? It's all over the house, in the bathroom. Everywhere you go, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Do your parents say that all the time too? 
(laughs) And Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Taking us back to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that Moses was just had just written prior to Deuteronomy 6. And for what reason? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a constant reminder in Deuteronomy. Obey the Lord and it will go well for you. Israel might say, well, but what about all the things we have to juggle as a family? You know? And God's response is, obey me and it will go well with you. Some of us have questions on how to be better parents, spouses, children. And we should always have those questions, but our questions need to be built upon an already concrete foundation of love as a family for Jesus. You can have all the counseling, all the tools, tips, tricks you want to help you and your family, but if you're not loving Jesus and guarding the Word in this context, then there is no amount of training we can offer that will be of help to you. It has to be built upon the foundation of Christ. We're not here to help modify behaviors. We're here to get to the heart and see people love Jesus, worship Jesus. So maybe, before we get into the training, if you realize, man, I'm having a hard time loving my family and loving God through loving my family, start this week. Start today. Moms, Speak and pray the Word of God over your children. And you don't have to just do it at certain sets of time of the day. Do it in the rhythms of life. Like there is, There's no such thing unless you are like super mom that you have this rigid schedule that your kids are like, okay mom, it's now 10 a.m. We now need to shift course and we need to do the next thing. Like no, it never happens that way, right? It's always like, Put that down. You know, wipe your rear end. And like, hey, stop beating on your sister. Right? That, those are the rhythms. But God gives you His Word. It's, in, it's instilled in your heart. It's treasured in your heart. And you have an opportunity to then speak it into the very rhythms of your day and life. And this is an act of love and worship to God. Fathers, quit making excuses and be the one to pull your family together. To read the Word. To pray. To worship. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a skilled teacher. If you know how to read, then read the Bible. If you don't know how to read, use an audio Bible. But pull your family together. If you're single or married without kids, your home is equally to be saturated with the love of Jesus. This isn't some marriage only or children's only club sort of thing. This is for all of us. We all have a God-given desire to love Him in our homes. We have a God-given responsibility to love Him in our homes. Because listen, how you love Him, Jesus, in your home will reflect how you love Him outside the home. I hope you kind of see where I'm going with this. Before we start doing all these things and training and learning and being active, if you will, the Word of God has to be at the core of who we are. It needs to then bleed out and overflow in our homes. And then from our homes, we will begin to see it go out. But we also have a responsibility to our church family. Not just our blood family, but our church family. Paul again does this masterfully in the New Testament. Paul says in one example of this, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1-6, through he says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no 
God but one. Alluding back to Deuteronomy. For although there are there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This is a specific call for a mature believer to show his love to the Lord by not causing his weaker brother to stumble. Even though the mature brother knows that idols are lifeless, man-made objects, and sure, you can eat a steak that has been offered up to a false idol or a false god. The stronger brother, though, loves Jesus so much that he is willing easily to lay down his freedom for the sake of the weaker brother. Paul shows in the New Testament that this love extends out to the covenant family. There's numerous ways we are to love the church family mentioned in Scripture. One of them being laying down freedoms, though that's not all of it. The call to build this season is not just a call to work, like you show up to your job five days a week, clocking in, clocking out, but an eager, loving desire to worship Jesus and how you make much of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life with one another. We are to be careful to build one another upon Christ. And that is the deepest form of love of Jesus that we can have towards one another. Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He prayed that we would be one as He and the Father are one. We get the joy of loving Jesus in in this oneness. Some of us have questions geared around how we are to collectively be the church amidst a fallen world. And foundationally, those questions matter not if we're not first loving one another. We cannot love one another. We cannot unify as a family unit amidst the broken world around us. How might we need to move towards one another this day to be a church that approaches the gates of hell collectively? And as we approach the gates of hell, we find the gates not being able to withstand, not being able to hold us because of our unified strength in Christ. And from that moment of loving our family, it leads to our loving God in a very public way. James chapter 2 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is clueless? For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Look, demons can know so many things about God. They can hear His Word. They can understand His Word. They can know that He is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They could even know that He is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet, their works are dead. Because there is no obedience. There is no true godly hearing and obeying. But the people of God rightly hear and rightly obey. Rightly work. And that's what James is telling us is that by faith, if you have faith, if you're hearing the words of Christ, if you're hearing the Word of God, then it leads you to works. It leads you to acting, to doing something. And this is the call to publicly act. If your love of Jesus is not making it outside of your personal life, your family, your church family, then you still lack Loving Jesus rightly. But I would say it is the same in reverse. Some of you may be loving Jesus publicly, putting on a great show, but at home or personally, you are a train wreck. You are equally missing the love of God. The love of Jesus, our exclusive commitment to Him, is found in all of those spheres. Personal, family, 
public. Not that we get it perfect all the time, but we are responsible for that sort of love. A husband doesn't keep his wife hidden, but brings her out in the open. Unashamedly shows her to the world. We are not to hide our love of Jesus from the world. So whatever fears or insecurities you may have about showing Jesus publicly, it's time to settle that with the Lord in repentance. As we answer questions, we're going to take action. We're not going to be a church that just stands by idly. We're not going to just ask questions just and then answer them for the sake of answering them to hear ourselves talk. But we want to act. And act as an act of worship because we are responding in hearing God's Word. And this will be the kicker. If it is God's Word that is speaking, then we must respond in action. We don't get a get-by-free pass. I don't think that's how that goes. We don't get a pass in obeying God when we rightly hear His Word. If it is just merely my opinion, my ethic, my philosophy that you're hearing, or any of the pastors and not the Lord's, then it should be questioned. It should be re-examined by the Word. And ultimately, to show you that we are going to put our money where our mouth is, here's some things we're working on to show Jesus publicly. We have already begun conversations around what does it look like to engage the great circle across the street, foster system. We have one in our church body who already works there, is on staff there. I had a meeting with a leader of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home on Friday who is going to connect me and our leadership and the leadership over there to having a conversation about how we can come into partnership, close partnership with the Great Circle and just simply serve them. There's going to be no question that they know that we love Jesus and that our aim is to serve the Lord and how we serve them as well. But you have to be ready because if we have that conversation and they say, hey, I think the best way you can serve us is by coming over and scrubbing toilets, then we need to have 20 people be like, okay, I'll go scrub toilets. And we do it in the name of Christ. If they say, hey, we need, we need people to come over and just eat a meal with these kids because they're lonely, we need to have like 20 families going, okay, I'll go eat a meal with them in the name of Christ. We are also, every Wednesday, Dave, Larry, Gary, ah, that rhymes, uh, get together and prayer walk this neighborhood. Is it Wednesdays at 9, right? We're going to make it committed now. It's got to be Wednesday. can't change now. It's official. It's on the internet even. But they come up here every single week and prayer walk this neighborhood. And when they prayer walk, it's not just like, like praying in your head with your hands in your pocket. Like There's hands lifted out, praying out loud, praying for the neighborhood, praying for the community, praying for God to work, unashamedly being about the Lord. And if you want to do that, come on. Come on Wednesdays. Get a hold of Gary. Get a hold of Dave. And come pray. We have, here's another way, we have prayer every Tuesday, 9 o'clock in this room. We read the Psalms and then we intentionally, whoever is here, speak a word of encouragement to that person. Everybody in that room gets encouraged. We specifically say one thing that encourages us about that person. Not general, but specific. Already putting into work this public way of displaying to the church body and to one another that we want to build them up in Christ. You're welcome to that as well. And two other things. We've begun discussions about how do we respond to the issue of abortion. And there's conversations already about hosting a conference, hosting something like that here that will allow us to ask those questions and figure out what does it look like to be the church to respond to those things. You need to be ready to respond. You need to be ready to act. And then last, we've begun to uh, really connect with the West Central Neighborhood Alliance. There's going to be monthly associational meetings that we can be a part of. Openly showing ourselves in this community as people who love Jesus and want this community to know Jesus and how we can serve them. 
Here's what I want to make very clear. I'm not saying you have to be a part of every single thing that's going on. But what happens is, many of us are waiting for me or somebody else to crack the door open for them. This is something we should be doing on our own. We should be so captured by the Word of God, it takes us in our soul, it bleeds out into our home, and then it moves out into the community. This is how God has commanded us to work. It doesn't take me to make you do that. But I know many of us have struggled in this. And so we are going to crack the door open. And what we need from you is to then go and to move into action. Personally, among your family, and within the community. So don't take these questions that we're going to ask and that we're going to answer through Scripture and do nothing with them. Do something with them. Listen to the Spirit inside of you. Listen to God's Word and then act. The reason we're about to have this abortion conversation here soon is because somebody from our church family came to me saying, hey, I've already made all these connections and I want to make this happen. I didn't tell this person to do it. I didn't beg this person to do it. This person, in obedience to the Word, already was in motion and in action doing these things. And that's what I want to see among our people. That all of us, in every sphere of life, are moving towards action, obeying God's Word. And so today, we've kind of set this foundation, if you will, for hearing the call to exclusive commitment to love and live for Jesus. And as we move forward in training, it's essential that we are able to hear Him. There's a lot of voices, a lot of opinions. We have to hear Him. We don't want to be like the customer who seemed to hear what she wanted to hear as she was set on finding toilet paper that she ultimately missed the person who was right in front of her. We don't want to be asking these questions so much and so often that we're actually missing God. That we're missing Him right in front of us. In simple obedience. Hearing is essential for us to know who's talking and for us to know how to be obedient and how to live righteously. Correct hearing leads us to a right kind of loving. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. To love our God to the core, to love our God within our family, to love our God among the community and the world. Let me just conclude by reading this passage, these few verses from Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you.